to the Prompt to Page podcast, a partnership between the Jessamine County Public Library and the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning. I'm your host, librarian and poet Carrie Green. Each episode, we interview a published writer who shares their favorite writing prompt. Submit your response to the prompt for a chance to have it read on a future episode of the podcast. Our guest today is David Domine. David teaches foreign languages and translation at Bellarmine University. His true crime book, A Dark Room in Glitterball City, deals with the 2009 murder of drag queen Jamie Carroll in a spooky mansion in Old Louisville that once doubled as a sanatorium. Publishers Weekly gave it a coveted starred review, saying, quote, Domine provides an enthralling deep dive into a bizarre murder case enhanced by his eyewitness account of the resulting trials. He gives this colorful case the detailed attention it merits. Fans of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil will be captivated, unquote. Welcome, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we talk about prompts, I um, wanted to ask about one of your sessions at the Carnegie Center's recent Books in Progress conference. You led a session on traditional versus self-publishing, and you have experience with both, correct? Yeah, that's right. So what do you wish you had known before self-publishing? Hmm, that's a good question. I was kind of fortunate in that I, I went around things the other way. Uh, okay. kind of easier. I had traditional publishers first. Mm-hmm. And once I had a readership, I mean, this was about 10 years ago when, you know, with the different social media platforms and the print on demand technology, self-publishing really, really started to take off. And so I had this readership I was able to draw upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so the nice thing about self-publishing is you have total creative control. Generally, the author uh, makes more per book, and you can edit things, and it's a very speedy process compared to traditional publishing. You mm-hmm. know, if you turn in a manuscript to a traditional publisher, it might be a year and a half or two years before it actually hits the shelves. Mm-hmm. Once it's printed, that's the version that's there until you do a, a second edition or you know do paperback or something. Authors have very little creative control over what the book as a product looks like, you know, cover design, layout, things like that. So I would have, I guess it would have been nice to know all of the pros of mm-hmm. self-publishing beforehand. Mm-hmm. But it worked out for me. With my latest book, A Dark Room and Glitterball City, that's number 13. So of the 13 books, uh, two of them I self-published. I started my own imprint. And that was a good experience. I just wanted to see what it was all about, you know, because it was really taking off. There's still kind of a stigma attached to self-publishing, though, you know, because mm-hmm. of the vanity press days, you know, 50, 40 years ago. And um, there's not a lot of, depending on how you do it, you know, a lot of people don't employ editors or proofreaders and what mm-hmm. they're actually publishing isn't a good product. And that can you know, that can kind of bring down the quality. And so self-published authors still kind of have to deal with that today. A lot of brick and mortar stores, you know, won't carry self-published books. So Mm -hmm. I was lucky in that I went the traditional route first and then went self-publishing. Had I done it the other way, it probably would have been a lot more challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are, those are good things to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. 
What role do prompts, writing prompts, play in your writing process, if any? Not many. Not not much. Okay. <laughs> um, like when I teach workshops and things and classes, I love doing writing prompts. I like taking classes and having a writing prompt to get me thinking, but my stories generally don't result from a prompt, or at least a conscientious prompt. Often I'll see something that prompts me, uh-huh. or I'll hear a phrase, and I think, oh, that'd be a great title for a short story, or that'd be a great title for a novel. So something, it might be in my day-to-day you know, goings-on, driving down the road, listening to the radio, I'll hear something or see something that provides an image for me. And that image is in something I want to go with. I want that to have a be to be a main character or a main theme or recurring motif in a story or else a lot of times I hear something I think that'd be a cool title for a short story. I was writing down the road on a, a bicycle and uh, I was listening to NPR and they I don't even remember what it was about, but the commentator used the term powder blue. And I thought, that's a neat color. I haven't heard that in a while. And then I was riding a bicycle, and all of a sudden I thought, the boy on the powder blue bicycle. And all of a sudden I had this title, and I didn't know what it was going to be about, but I wrote a short story, you know, based Mm -hmm. on that, just because of something I heard that sounded interesting to me. So often I'll see something or hear something, and that that prompts a storyline, or often it's just a title, and then I, I, I create a story to go with the title. And do you have a method of like, do you carry a notebook? Do you, do you, or do you just remember those things? Yeah, I just remember them. I do have like a running tally of notes. A lot of times I'll hear a certain word or a phrase and I thought, oh, that's a word people don't use enough. I'm going to use that in the novel I'm working on. Or mm-hmm. a lot of times a basic idea for a story will come and then I'll jot it down. And it's usually I jot it down quickly and then I go back and it makes no sense at all what I wrote down. I've got a bunch of garbled words, concepts that I thought were going to be great novels and stories, and I can't remember what they were all about. I'm not one of those writers that has a disciplined process. You know, some of my friends, they get up every morning at six o'clock and they write till one and they put in their time and then they go about the rest of their day. Sometimes I'll go, you know, weeks on end without actually writing, Mm -hmm. but, you know, writing and creating is a lot more than the actual physical writing, you know, for me, a lot of times it's the ideas just festering in my mind and mm-hmm. purifying and fermenting and things like that. So a lot of times I'm just kind of trying to work out uh, storylines and work out plots. And then all of a sudden the mood will strike me and I'll write for a week, you know, 10 hours every day straight and I want to get something done. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I work. Now, what about for your, for your nonfiction process? projects and research. How does research play into your writing process? Being that mo- all my books so far have been nonfiction, you know, it, mm-hmm. research was a big part. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, especially for this uh, most recent book, uh, A Dark Room in Glitterball City, it took me over 10 years to write. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the basic story, it's about a murder that took place in old Louisville. And the story kind of just fell in my lap because it took place at a house that I almost bought. I looked at the house and I said, no, it was just too much work. And then two years later, the house popped up on the news. The guy who actually had the appointment with the real estate agent after I looked at it that morning, he bought the house and then Mm -hmm. he and his boyfriend were subsequently arrested. They dug a body out of their wine cellar. Mm 
and mm-hmm. it's a scandalous trial and so many strange things happen in that house so a big chunk of my research was sitting in on the trials and mm-hmm. each trial took about three weeks three and a half weeks to reach its conclusion and verdict so a lot of it was just sitting in the courtroom observing taking notes and then you know the question was the whole time you know who really killed this guy because they both blamed the other and what happened you know the night they had this big fight there was a 911 call and the police showed up and that's when they found out about the body in the basement so a lot of it then was you know, trying to talk to people and trying to figure out what went on. And then as I actually got down to writing the book, by that point, I had obtained all the trial tapes because Kentucky, you know, video records its trials. Mm-hmm. So then I want, went back through like 40 DVDs worth of courtroom video. And I got privy to our, a lot of the things that you don't see during the trial if you're in the actual gallery, you know, when the judge you know, hits the white noise button and the lawyers convene at the bench. Uh, You get to hear all that stuff after the trial is over. You get to hear the voir dire when they're questioning and polling all the jurors and you see the jurors that were weeded out and why. So a big chunk was me going through those trial tapes two times. It took me probably six months of work, you know, eight or 10 hours a day, just going back and then transcribing the more pertinent parts, you know, so I could recreate the courtroom drama. Mm -hmm. That was a big chunk. And then um, the story is also about Louisville. You know, the city is a character. So there's Mm -hmm. little historical anecdotes. And I just love weird bits of trivia and just quirky stuff and quirky characters. So it was trying to incorporate tangents and anecdotes that kind of painted a picture of what it was like to live in this city and especially the neighborhood where it took place old louisville which is one of the largest historic preservation districts in the country you know there's 45 Mm -hmm. square blocks of mostly old victorian mansions and houses so um it was doing research trying to find things that i could add to flesh out the story and uh, kind of make the city a character and then dealing with the people i met you know because after a certain time this story, this trial was having an effect on me. People, some people were getting upset because I was, you know, writing about real people and you write about real people, you're probably going to make some of them mad. Mm-hmm. So part of it is kind of a memoir because by the time, you know, I was finishing up the book, we were coming on 10 years. And so I had that time you need to kind of look back and reflect on things. So I was able to kind of put a personal touch to it. It's, it's my story, but it's how I am involved in this murder that took place in a in a neighborhood that I love. Mm-hmm. So what writing prompt would you like to talk about today for our listeners? Well, I, um, I'm a big food writer person and I started off writing restaurant reviews and some of my first books were cookbooks. So I always love anything food related. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, when I write ghost stories, food keeps popping up in my <laughs> uh, story. So I always do something food-related for a a prompt, and uh, a fun prompt that I've used before in workshops is I ask the writer to imagine themselves being the most neglected food item in their refrigerator, (laughs) and I like them to describe what it's like being in the refrigerator, what, you know, what are they seeing, what other items are, you know, beloved, what family members are taking, what things, and you being the neglected poor little thing on the back shelf 
you know, what are you going to do? How's your life going to be in that refrigerator? I'm thinking about um, what would be neglected in my refrigerator. I think my husband found some mustard from 2019 the other day. So, so that might qualify. Self, self, they're indestructible. It, 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 you know, <laughs> it kind of keeps forever. So you could probably, I still use it. I hate throwing things away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great prompt. What kind of things, or if you've used that, have you, you've used that before in workshops? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things have people come up with from that prompt? Everything. Often, because a lot of times I have college kids in my class, often it's like an overlooked uh, leftover carton of steamed rice from like a Chinese takeaway dinner that's growing <laughs> old. Or it's usually things like condiments, you know, strange condiments that people don't use. Uh, mustard, mm-hmm. brought up mustard. That's been brought up before. <laughs> Someone once did a great one where it was like a, a poor little tangerine that got caught in a crevice behind uh, a carton of milk that no one used and the tangerine was moldy and dry, <laughs> cicadas. So I got all kinds. Of <laughs> so, are there is there any final writing advice you'd like to give our listeners? If you're writing, you're writing for a reason. Okay, some people there's just a story that they have to, you know, get out there. It has to be told. Uh, very often, there's some kind of catharsis involved. You know, memoirs. People are dealing with emotions and maybe things that happen. Some people, you know, writing is fun. It's creative for them, but there's some reason that you're writing. And so I always tell people to know why you're writing, you know, enjoy why you're doing it and think about the process as you're doing it. And then stop and ask yourself, you know, do I want to get this published? Do I want to share this with people? Most people not all of them, but most people, they write things down and they want people to read what they've mm-hmm. written and they want to be understood. They want to transmit emotions or feeling. Sometimes they just want to entertain people. So know, know what the reason your writing is. And then as you go about the publishing process, uh, be persistent and be patient and don't give up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of a very solitary, you know, lonely endeavor for many of us. Um, and it's very competitive nowadays. It's very, very hard to get things published the traditional way. It's hard to get an agent, mm-hmm. uh, really, really hard. It's hard to get a publishing house, even if you have an agent. So just don't give up. Every time you get a rejection letter, just put it on the pile. And every time I got a rejection letter, I'd be like, well, that's one, that's one, one try closer to my book finally getting accepted. Mm-hmm. So you have to be persistent. And then you know, do your due diligence, do research, you know, find out what places, what publishing houses are publishing the things that you write, what kind of agents are looking for the things you're looking for and educate yourself, make sure you know what's going on in the industry and what the trends are. And uh, once you kind of know what people are looking for, that can help steer you in the right direction. But the biggest thing of all is just, is don't give up. Usually what happens is you, you go years and years and eventually happens. If you keep if you keep up and if you keep trying to improve, if you keep honing your craft, you know, go to workshops, go to libraries, join writing groups and and try to attend conferences, you know, network, 
surround yourself with like-minded people because especially here in Kentucky, I find the writing community is very generous. People are very supportive of each other. It's not like mm-hmm. some other places where writers are very cutthroat and they're uh, kind of out to get each other. Kentucky has so many great writers and generally they're very, very supportive and helpful. So I just say, try, you know, keep, keep, at it and then try to surround yourself with people who can help you and then you know be realistic a lot of times they say start small you know start local it'd be great if you're writing the great american novel and right away it became a new york times bestseller <laughs> but that just it's probably not going to happen so you have some realistic expectations and you know write what you know about write the things that you like to write mm-hmm. you like to read and I should take some of my own advice sometimes because if they say if you don't make people angry, you're not, you know, you're not writing the right kind of things. And I'm always afraid of making people angry. So I try <laughs> to avoid it if I can, but sometimes I still do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, lots of lots of little things I'd suggest. Well, thanks so much for sharing your advice with us and for coming on Prompt to Page. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was nice talking to you. So I'm very excited to read a response to Gwenda Bond's prompt from our last episode. And if you remember, the prompt was, there's a house in a deserted neighborhood and there's a box on the porch. The submission is called, appropriately enough, The Box on the Porch. It's by Beth Kelly, a listener who lives in Lexington, Kentucky. Beth has three rescued pets, cats Corbett and Esme, and a dog, Willem. She enjoys writing fiction and belongs to a local writing group. Her hobbies are swimming and gardening. The Box on the Porch by Beth Kelly. The mammoth cherry tree had been hiding the secret for decades. It stood flaying its gnarly limbs against the winds that dared to force it down. Wind gusts wailed stronger and stronger until the old tree gave up and heaved at its roots. It fell with a blow that shook the earth. After the storm settled, Glimmer went out to inspect the damage. The tree had fallen from her neighbor's yard with half of it crossing into hers. She maneuvered around the branches and limbs and then she saw it, the box. It was sitting in the hole that had once held the tree trunk that now stood on its edge. That's weird. How did a box get under a tree? Glimmer grabbed the rusted box, tucked it under her arm, and headed to her porch. Maybe it has money in it, she hoped. The box had fossilized from being buried in the earth for so long. No amount of prying and pulling would break its rusty seal. She sprayed it with a coat of oil, and at last it popped open. It's empty. All that work for nothing, she thought. Hoping to see the last of it, she tossed the box and off it went to the landfill. The box, destined to stay, found its way back. She tried to throw it away a few more times, but it kept coming home. She accepted its will to stay and left it on the porch. Glimmer realized that her street had been quiet and she hadn't seen any of her neighbors. 
magically, the houses were manicured to perfection as if they were taking care of themselves. She basked in the tranquility of her abandoned street. On the one-year anniversary of the storm, Glimmer looked into the hole where she had found the box. She saw a white swirl coming up from the abyss. It hovered and asked her if she was ready for her neighbors to return. Glimmer motioned no with her head. The swirl told Glimmer that when she was ready, she should place the box where the trunk had been and plant a tree over it. The swirl disappeared back to the hole and the box remained on her porch. Thank you so much, Beth, for sharing your story with us. If you'd like to submit a response to David's prompt or to any of the previous prompts, visit our website at jesspublib.org forward slash prompt hyphen two hyphen page. We'd also love your feedback, so please visit our website to fill out a quick survey. Survey participants will be entered to win a $25 gift card to Joseph Beth Booksellers. We welcome you to join the Jessamine County Public Library's Prompt to Page Writing Group, which will meet on Wednesday, June 29th at 6 p.m. Martha Greenwald, the director of the Who We Lost Project, and our guest on Episode 5, will lead the class Remembering Our Loved Ones on Saturday, June 25th at 1 p.m. You'll learn how to write short remembrances of your loved ones. Register for both these free classes on our website at jesspublib.org forward slash events. To learn more about the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning and all of its classes, visit carnegiecenterlex.org. Our music is by Archipelago, an all-instrumental musical collaboration between three Lexington-based university professors. Find out more about Archipelago, Songs from Quarantine, Volumes 1 and 2, at the links on our podcast website.